0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Matt Kirshner to the podcast. Welcome, Matt.
1: Thanks, James. Appreciate the, the opportunity.
0: So Matt, you are Chief Product Officer at Atonix Digital. You've been involved with AI for quite a bit, working on software packages, analytics, all these other great things that, you know, big and forefront within maintenance and reliability. But also, though, that's super brief intro, what can you tell us about yourself and Atonics.
1: Sure. Yeah, I I lead our product team here. Um, my personal background, I, I come from a mechanical engineering background and uh, started my career working in a, a large engineering firm. Um, and when we were when I was there, I, I started initially in a consulting engineering role where uh, myself and the team would would Provide remote monitoring services for uh, customers, primarily at that time, in the power generation industry. And so we would be overseeing and over overlooking the reliability and and uh, operating performance of those facilities as a as a service to those companies. And over time, we kind of recognized that there must be a more efficient way to to kind of keep an eye on performance and reliability and really drive action for those those customers. And we started investing in developing software tools to facilitate that, that process. And so uh, we kind of went through a transition over a, a long period of time, really the last uh, 20 plus years, um, going from a service provider uh, to a Combined software and service offering where the software was targeting uh, really that that remote oversight. And then uh, eventually we kind of split off and now we're an independent software company focused on the software part. That that engineering service firm and, and other partners, uh, as well as direct to customers, they all leverage our software tools for that same purpose. Really, how do I keep an eye on that that reliability? Um, of Of the plant from from afar, and we call our tools uh, operational intelligence tools. And we've had some good success with it. You know, there's around three hundred plants right now that that are actively monitored using our software and and uh, those facilities have detected thirty thousand um, performance and reliability uh, issues. And so, it's been a it's been an interesting journey to just see how the the industry has pursued reliability, uh, effectiveness over over the years.
0: Yeah, it's there's been a major change going from, you know, route based hand based data collection to online continuous monitoring, and you know what unfortunately I still see some companies who don't even have the basic handheld data
1: collection stuff in place yeah it is interesting and and I, it's not just I, I would say that certain industries are further along in that journey than others and then even within each industry certain customers are more aggressive at at being on the forefront of of, of the innovation there so uh, I think there's effectiveness in all of those things and and the important thing is that everybody is pushing themselves to to progress from wherever they are right now whether that's on the forefront or or you know kind of catching up with their with their peers just continuing to improve is what's important
0: yes absolutely now a lot of organizations are focused on the reliability programs the predictive maintenance programs really with the aim of improving availability and uptime yep but you mentioned operational intelligence sure what is that and how is that different from reliability or predictive maintenance programs?
1: Well, it, it, when I think of reliability programs, I almost think of it in three buckets. And so uh, there are uh, reliability programs that really focus on that high frequency vibration type data, you know, your spectral analysis and orbital plots and things like that, that, that uh, are focused on really getting into the nitty-gritty of what's what's going on in, in your um, equipment. And so that's kind of one category, uh, uh, the high-frequency category. And then the category kind of in this middle area in terms of frequency and time horizon is is where we live, which is how do you leverage process data and information, so including vibrations and, and equipment health information that's being captured through your control systems and process data historians, and how do you make kind of that near-term decision-making uh, off of your process data? So you have your high-frequency stuff, you have your process data stuff, and then on uh, a longer-term horizon, many companies are looking at uh, a longer-term uh, risk assessment and long-term maintenance planning uh, that, that they're looking at. And so when I, when I talk about, operational intelligence. I'm talking about that middle time horizon. How, how can you detect emerging issues as they're emerging and sooner than, than your control system, um, on that data frequency, that's kind of in that, that process level, all of them are targeting the same thing, right? All of them are targeting, uh, how do I make sure that this equipment doesn't doesn't fail they're just using different data sources to do that whether it's high frequency data process data or just simply um, age and and uh, visual inspection kind of criteria of the of the equipment a couple other notes so we've kind of established we're living in the in the process data we're living in the near real time uh, but the other thing is is that Operational intelligence, I think, includes some focus on action or activity, uh, not just analytics. And so, uh, we'll we'll get into that through through the podcast, I'm sure. But uh, what we don't want to promote is that uh, the analytics are the answer. Analytics are a starting point to a to a process that that drives action. And without the action, it's not really. Um, uh, very valuable. So, uh, operational intelligence is near-term uh, decisions about reliability that that drive action. All
0: right, you just made my day. <laughs> the fact that you mentioned you have to actually do something with this data or insights and act on it is so important. Yes, so many organizations miss that part.
1: I I know it. No, it's it's very. It's, it's interesting to see that uh, there's so much buzz about advanced analytics and, and machine learning and artificial intelligence that, that it gets a little oversold to the point where people expect it to do more than it can can actually do. You know, people are still required to consume that information and, and make decisions and, and take action. Else it's just another piece of software that's that's uh, sitting on a shelf
0: Yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because, you know, organizations going with the right intention of using that information to drive improvements to repairs, PMs, predictive maintenance, all these other things they're trying to do, but yet they don't have a basic work management program that allows them to get a notification, plan, schedule it, make sure they have the parts and execute it in time or in a timely manner.
1: Sure. Yeah, and you you definitely there is a journey there. There's a progression of sophistication where you don't want to put the cart before the horse certainly. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, assuming they have those foundations in place and now we can start leveraging this intelligence to make a difference. How do companies benefit from this operational intelligence? Is it just reduce maintenance cost? Is it, you know, increase throughput, safety, all yeah. the other things? Yeah,
1: it it's uh, it is interesting. I think most companies focus the 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 reason they embark on this is they want to prevent equipment failures and unplanned downtime. And I think that is a uh, that's probably the number one benefit is let's make sure that equipment doesn't fail because when it fails, it's expensive to repair and it's causing us to to um, be offline and not producing what we're trying to produce. So that's, that's number one, but certainly beyond that, there's other benefits and, and you kind of hit on, on a couple. So one would be operational costs just because you're online doesn't mean you're operating efficiently or effectively. And so certainly the idea of monitoring, not just equipment health and reliability, but also performance related and process related uh, metrics is important too because you don't you want to control those operating costs and whether that's in your in your business if that's chemicals or energy consumption or water consumption uh, or fuel consumption um, you want to make sure that you that you're controlling those operating costs and from you mentioned safety it's an interesting one it's not one that we market heavily towards but in in reality there's certain Failures that occur in in plant environments that are quite dangerous, and so preventing those type of failures can can really have a, a health and safety um, benefit benefit to it as well.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm thinking you know in those regulated environments where we have process safety management programs in place and all those types of things, this might give some insight to this is starting to creep out of variance. This should be looked at before we get to the point where. It becomes an emergency or an immediate yeah. type thing to address. It gives us that forewarning, I think.
1: It does, and and the from a from a safety perspective, the types of failures that we've noticed that are the of the greatest concern um, tend to be in a lot in the in the industries that are heavy chemical users, and and we've certainly identified multiple um, use cases or examples where uh there were um, chemical reactions occurring and they were promoting explosive environments that were un- unknown to the uh, control rooms at those facilities and so that's it's a really impactful um, find. I mean we talk about dollars and cents and that's that's what often drives uh, these decisions for equipment reliability but when a customer, Identifies one of those type of issues and, and they say, oh wow, we were really headed towards a dangerous situation that can really make an impact uh, for them. This podcast is brought to you by Erodisio.
0: Be sure to check out Erodisio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Now, with this operational intelligence being so impactful, why is it that so many organizations feel overwhelmed, paralyzed, or don't know where to start with this type of thing?
1: It's... There is no shortage of reasons, I don't think. Um, I I might start with the with something we touched on earlier. It it's there are so many different ways that analytics and machine learning and and AI are marketed that it can just be just a people are bombarded with noise. They hear so many different things and they have a, a, their expectations are. Are so high because everyone's telling them how great it's going to be, but at the same point they hear 50 different ways it can be done, and it can be confusing on which way is best for me or how do I leverage this stuff, and it can just be confusing and overwhelming. And one one thing that we we like to promote and and advocate for is analytics should really not it should really target those people who understand the process. It um, I think a lot of times this ML AI environment targets a kind of a data science expert and that there's places for that, but I think it can be more effective when it's, when it's delivered in a way that's consumable by people who understand the process. So you don't have a, a person who's strong at math over here and a person who's strong at the, the assets in the process. And they're really trying to, you know, uh, share their expertise with each other and understanding the nuances of each other's expertise. I prefer an environment where you just focus on, on like the guy that understands the process, the guy that understands the asset, make the analytics leverage the power of them, but don't make it overwhelming and confusing, make it simplified that is consumable by the person that, that really understands why they want that thing to to not fail and and what's important to keep an eye on. so that's kind of one reason that we talked about the expectations out of line with the reality, meaning don't expect the math to just solve all your problems, expect the math to point you in the right direction that you can then um, take action. So we i I could I think there's i'm I'm rattling off a few, but so we talked about it being confusing. So that's overwhelming. We talked about it, the analytics being overhyped and having too much expectations. but once once they're ready to get started, I think there's a couple things that that people do as well. they They might overthink it. And so they're really talking about or trying to aspire to some dream state and think about how do I get from nothing to perfection? And that's that's paralyzing because you can't really get from nothing to perfection in a in a single step. And so uh, there's one of our customers that that used a phrase that I like. He he says, "Do, learn, do." And so it's take a step, learn from that step, do the next step. And so rather than you know it's it's maybe a simplified way of kind of talking about agile uh, business models, but do, learn, do. Let's Take an action and learn from it, and keep keep moving rather than over analyze it. And then then fine, yeah. finally, I have the the I've seen people that focus. There's a delicate balance between focusing too narrow and going too broad when you're getting started, and, and specifically like with the assets that are in scope when you get started. Some people focus. They say that is my most p- critical piece of equipment. And so I'm going to focus on that piece of equipment and I'm going to spend the next six months trying to come up with the perfect mathematical model that represents that equipment. Well, in that six months, a hundred other problems have happened in in that facility that might not have been the critical failure or the critical piece of equipment, but they all had impacts. And so by focusing too narrow, they're missing the things around it. However, if you're a company that has, you know, 20 facilities trying to roll it out to 20 facilities simultaneously might be the opposite end of that, right? So you don't want to focus on one piece of equipment. You don't want to roll it out to an entire fleet all at once. We usually say pick a site or a major process uh, area and and get some good coverage there as a way to kind of step into uh, the use case because that gives you broad enough coverage to observe the benefits um, wider than a single asset, but it allows you to at least maintain some level of focus for that initial step and and get your lessons learned.
0: Yeah. I think all those reasons you mentioned are spot on. You know, if you go Google AI or machine learning, you're going to learn about neural networks Mm -hmm. and all these other things that people are just, what is this stuff? This is way too complex for me. Um, then you need that subject matter expertise in relation to the asset, the process. you need that stuff. And then like you said, it's not going to solve all the problems. So people need to understand that as well. So I think you nailed a lot of the, a lot of the good ones. And then lastly, start with a pilot area. Yeah. Prove it out, then grow it. Yeah. If I go ask my boss for $10 million to implement this, he's probably going to laugh at me. That's, I asked for a hundred thousand right. to do a, a little pilot here, prove that it works. A lot more likely to get that. And then I can scale that up once I prove it successful.
1: I agree completely. Yep. And, and sometimes, um, that that pilot or proof of concept gets a bad name, but there's places where it can be really effective. If uh, it, I don't like thinking of pilots or proof of concepts as, as an experiment necessarily. Some people think of it as I'm going to do a proof of concept and that means I have to learn everything from scratch. I think it, it more as I'm going to prove the value of what I already know I'm going to do. So I'm going to set out to do this specific thing I'm going to take these specific actions, and, and uh, if my hypothesis is correct, it's going to deliver value to our organization. I don't think you want to start from the perspective of a pilot or a proof of concept, like it's going to be this long, drawn-out experiment that you're learning from, from scratch. I think you're proving what you think is going to work more so than, than uh, experimenting from scratch.
0: Yes, definitely agree with that. We're going to use proven technology and apply it to our operating context, our area to show the value so then we can scale up.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: So once we've worked through all this stress, all this overwhelmed process of where am I going to start? What am I going to do? How do organizations actually start or what is required to actually start this type of program?
1: So once, yeah, once you've navigated the overwhelming uh, part and, and, picked a focus area. I think it's actually easier than it sounds and, and I think it's one of those things where once you've done it once, it seems so obvious and, and simple, but if you haven't done it before, then it can can feel complicated. So from a technology perspective, you kind of mentioned the progression. It's nice if you've already have a data historian. It's nice if you already have a work management system to take action in the in the field. And so, assuming you have that that data available, it's really not that hard if you if you make a good selection because there's ways where um, the people who have done it before can apply their lessons learned to your environment, so you're not learning all those from scratch. And they can do that in more than one way. There's um, certainly we like to templatize things, and so each time we're building a a, a model on a pump, it's not starting from scratch we already know that i might want to create a model to keep an eye on that uh, outboard bearing vibration and that correlates well with the speed of the pump and the flow through the pump and the temperature and pressure coming into the pump and the ambient conditions around it and so just by having that template ready to go you can deploy that with a with a snap rather than than starting from scratch so Having some of that knowledge baked into the tool is important to help people uh, learn from the people who have done it before them, and then simply the experience of someone who's implemented those programs before. And so, find a partner that's that's been there, done that, and they're going to get you up and running. It might seem like you're paying extra money, but in reality, it's going to be cheaper than than learning it for for yourself from from scratch, you'll, you'll avoid those lessons learned that others have already learned on, on your behalf.
0: Yeah. Either way, you're going to pay for those lessons learned. Yep. It's either you're paying to avoid them or you're going to pay to learn them one yep, other way. Right.
1: Exactly. So I, I do think that it's, it's, it's tough because I've seen it successfully deployed enough times that, that to me, I don't want to make it sound like it's overly simplified, Uh, But at the same point, I don't want people to be thinking that it's uh, overwhelming to get started because it really can be pretty straightforward. All right.
0: Now, are there any things you notice from companies or any common themes you notice from companies or those that are successful with this? Like ones that have, you know, good maintenance foundations or good asset hierarchy or work planning or is it the culture? Any common themes?
1: Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think so. Culture is an interesting one. And there's I think it can be effective in a variety of cultures if you if you do it right. And so what I mean by that is I think of um, let's go with two broad ends of the spectrum where on on one hand, you may have a culture that is very innovative. Do it yourself. Um, type culture. And on the other hand, you might have uh, you know, someone who maybe lags lags the peers and wants other people to experiment so that they can see what best practices are. And they might be a uh, lean staffed, um, need some help kind of culture. And so in both of those models, these things can, can work. If you're going to do it yourself, you need to make sure that you have dedicated people focused on leveraging these tools. If you're if you're going to, if you aren't planning to dedicate resources, you probably ought to hire a partner to keep an eye on it for you. In, in, in my second example, the culture change isn't, or the kind of organizational change is minimal because that third-party service provider is simply merging into your existing processes. And so they're simply providing guidance and insight and recommendations to go through your normal you know, day-to-day work. Your maintenance guys are going to be there. They're going to be um, uh, working to to make their facility as reliable as possible. And in that case, that third-party service provider is just saying, hey, you might want to bump this particular piece of equipment up your list a little because we're seeing something. And so that that method is if you feel like your organization is tough to implement change, that might be a good way of thinking about it is we can take advantage of this through a third party and they'll just coach us and we'll just continue doing our normal day-to-day life, uh, but with a little more input and, and guidance into why we're, we're working on what we're working on. And then the the DIY or the innovative culture side, that one does take a little bit more um, work to, uh, to implement all that. That change, but when you do that, it still might be worth considering that a, almost a transition period, enlist a third party to get it up and show you the ropes and how it's most effective, and how it's least disruptive to your processes, so that the organizational change is minimal, and then implement those processes within your own within your own organization. So it can be effective across m- many different types of organization, but but you do kind of have to match uh, the deployment and resourcing model to what's most effective within your within your organization.
0: All right. Excellent. Yeah. It's good to hear it works across multiple different types of cultures because, you know, whether it's industry specific or company specific, those cultures exist. So being able to scale it across is important. Oh yeah.
1: We have, I mean, and we have customers that, that range. So, I mean, we have customers that have a single facility and that's the scope and they have a really small staff and we have uh customers that that um, have you know uh dozens and dozens of facilities with heavy resourcing and centralized support staff and and both models uh they're finding ways to be effective. All
0: right. Excellent. Now some organizations have invested heavily in this type of stuff, regardless mm-hmm. of culture, regardless of some of the pre-work done, but they're not seeing the expected results or return on investment. Why do you think that is?
1: it It kind of comes back to some of the things we've talked about. I think it may it may be that they have unrealistic expectations of the analytics that that they don't couple the analytics with with the action and the and the processes that need to be there to make sure that um, they're taking action on that that investment. So it might be that. It might be that they're not driving action. Um, it might be, uh, that they have a mismatch between the type of tool that they bought and the user that they have using that tool. So that kind of goes back to the, if you're, if you are counting on a data science approach to this and you're, and you have data scientists on staff, you probably are going to want a very math intensive, um, highly flexible math environment. And if you're looking to drive action through your asset and process experts, you're going to want an environment where the analytics are, um, still powerful, but, but, uh, delivered in a way that's, um, more consumable towards that, that user, um, type. And, and so that mismatch between the tools and the resources, uh, could also, could also be at play there.
0: Yeah. I think you nailed it. Whether the tool is mismatched, whether they're not acting on the, insights that they're gaining or Mm -hmm. they're acting too late on those insights you know there's quite a few reasons why and i think every company and even sites within a company they're they're gonna have different reasons of why it is successful or not
1: yeah and Um, it's it's an interest i I, it's interesting to have the luxury of seeing uh many different companies go through their their journey kind of as, as that third party i i think it's interesting that uh I have the benefit of, of observing lessons learned from a variety of industries, a variety of customer types and, and, and sizes that, that, uh, that just kind of, it's, it's, if nothing else, uh, an interesting, uh, journey to be on as a third party.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, are there any last thoughts you have for anyone that's interested in starting, improving or you know really anything on an analytics program or operational intelligence program
1: yeah i i think um it's it's important uh to to weed out the noise level set level set your expectations i i do think that um i i would advocate for finding someone who is who is a step ahead of you in the journey whether that's a a service provider, a vendor, or a peer in the industry, or a peer in, a, in another industry, and and make sure that uh, at this point, no one needs to necessarily be the pioneer. Um, a lot of people are are out there on the forefront and have learned a lot of lessons. So I would advocate that people that are trying to get started um, benefit in one way or another from from those that are ahead of them in that in that journey.
0: All right, excellent. Now what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? Do you want them to go learn something? Do you want them to try something? What do you want them to take away?
1: Just, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, go against your question and go with two things. Can I go with two things?
0: Of course. (laughs) Uh,
1: I, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's not as hard as it sounds is one thing is don't make, don't be overwhelmed. It's not as complicated as, as, it, as it might feel. And the second one that we've talked about is analytics without action is just math. And, and make sure that if you're embarking in this journey that you, you have a plan to take action. So don't get overwhelmed and make sure that when you're, when you're getting it implemented that you have a way to drive that workflow and, and make sure you're getting those results.
0: All right. Excellent. Some great words of wisdom there. Now, as we wrap this up, I always want to find out or give you the opportunity to, you know, where can people find out more about you? Atonix. I know with COVID going on, sometimes we're not at conferences as much as we want to be or those types of things, but where can they find out more about you, Atonix, all those other great things? Yeah,
1: I, I sure wish there was a whole bunch of conferences that we had lined up where we could meet a bunch of people in person, but but right now that isn't isn't the case. So like I said, the best place to track us down is probably just um, you know through the website. So Atonix.com is is where you can find us, and there's some contact us options there and resources there um, to to learn more about us and case study examples. If you want to kind of see how, how we like to put this stuff in, in motion, that's probably the best, best place to, to either get in touch or, or learn more about us.
0: All right. Excellent. And then my, one of my favorite questions for every guest, what's your favorite resources on
1: the topic? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And so we actually, uh, floated that around the, around the company. I mean, what's, what's What's interesting to me uh, often are uh, analyst reports on 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 our type of offerings. And so, uh, some of those, if you're subscribed to any any analyst services as a customer, ask them about things like operational intelligence or asset performance management. Those reports I think are interesting because they have insight from um, many different customers and many different vendors about the 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 strengths and how it's how it's applied so those are those are often my uh go-to resource resources if you're not there's no shortage of of information about asset performance management and operational intelligence if you just kind of do some some uh web web searching there and and maybe lastly, this is more of an offer than a than a res than a resource. I I would uh, welcome the opportunity to, to be a resource. And so if 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 someone's in this journey somewhere, if if you're struggling on we well, are applying analytics and for whatever reason we're not getting the value. Uh, like I said, we've we've seen a lot of customers go through this journey, and we'd be happy to kind of give you some coaching and guidance on what we find to be, find to be effective. And maybe, maybe where you're stuck, uh, we've observed someone break through that, that, uh, roadblock before and would happy and be happy to give you some, some guidance there.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, I will put links to all those various things you mentioned in the show notes. So if people want to get in touch with you, find you ask some of those hard questions if we're stuck here, what do we do? Sure. They can easily do that. Awesome. Well, Matt, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about operational intelligence today. Definitely gave us some more insights around what is operational intelligence? How do we approach AI, machine learning, all those other great terms that are out there. So I appreciate your time and thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thanks, James. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iradicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.